Welcome to Settlers of Catan Even, where we talk about conspiracy theories, current events, and whatever else pops into our minds, all while playing one of our favorite games, Catan. I'm Ben, and I'll be the moderator for this week. Today, our players are... Megan. Katie. CJ. Jasmine. Today, we are playing the Drought Board. The same rules apply as the last episode for the Seafarers. However, if you forgot or are new, you can check down in the show notes for a brief explanation. So today we need how many victory points, everybody? Fourteen. 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 And in this one, there are deserts spread across the main island and grain is scarce. Fertile fields can be found on the neighboring small islands. Um, So you get special victory points in this one, like the other Seafarers expansions, where you get an additional two victory points each time you get to a new island. I would love to start the game, but not everyone is ready. My bad. I forgot to hit A. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) This time it wasn't me. Well, that's only because you're not playing. That's because Katie had to start it so she could get the right color. Oh, you're red. Look. Good. How perfect. Well, she started. Also, update, Jasmine changed her color to white. I'm just spicing things up, trying out all the other colors. Ooh. All right, who's getting to go first? Um, it's Katie. It's me. I don't know. I don't know. So I have a question for everyone playing. Ben, you don't get to answer. Is your card gray or is it your color? It's gray. It's gray. Oh. It's always been gray. Because I think in the real Catan, it's your color. So I'm upset. I was going to huh. say, I think it's my color because my white gray is you're white. Yeah. Oof, <laughs> yeah. this board is no bueno. I like that grain is scarce and then the um, game had the audacity to put a three on that wheat. Yeah. yeah. I mean, one of them has a six, though. True. And since I'm not playing, you should be able to roll a six. I don't know how true that'll be. Yeah. This is terrible. I hate going first. Yeah, it's much better going last. It really is, because then you get to place all of your pieces. And when you go first, like I unfortunately had to do, you're just kind of like screwed. You have to like pre-pick out like seven spots that you could potentially put down your your last piece. But there's not even seven potential spots on this board. Basically. No, I know. (laughs) It's tragic. Very Uh-oh. tragic. How many times, though, have we started a game of Catan and you've said, ah, oh, I'm going to lose, and then you destroyed everybody? That is a very fair point. Like two times. That's it. CJ. You just now noticed what I did? I did. Mm. I was messing around with audio stuff. <laughs> At least there's an eight on that gold mine. <laughs> but how many of us are really going to get to that eight? So what's what's everybody drinking today? We're not drinking Panera coffee because we got our Panera earlier. We've had it twice today, like normal. We're drinking Starbucks because, you know. So wait, so you've had two Panera coffees and now you're drinking Starbucks. So this is your third round of coffee. Am I I understanding that correctly? Yeah, but Panera, we only get like regular drip coffee. So it's just like if I had done pour over here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not even judging because I'm on my third coffee. And that's perfectly fine. I was just wondering. I'm not judging either because coffee is sacred liquid. But wait, there's something more important. Ben, can I see your mug again? 
I thought this was the best conspiracy theory mug. Look at it. It says uncertain times, <laughs> which is what we're living in. And then we've got this UFO and these little stars. I love it. Yes. My roommate purchased this for me and she got one too from Daisy and Aster, which is this really cool online store. It's daisyandaster.com. Not sponsored. But hey, if anybody wants to sponsor us, let me know. But Daisy and Astro is really cool. And they're located in Vancouver, Washington. And they've got like mugs and stickers and shirts and stuff. They feature this like cool, it's almost like old tattoo pinup style art. It's really cool. But I thought this That's was my cool. most conspiracy theory mug. I love it. Yeah. It's quite like cute. It. Have y'all started for real for real? Yeah. Uh, no. I know. We have not. Oh, no. We're I'm still, still placing our pieces. Placing you... pieces. Lady. Once your pieces are placed, I have a topic that I think is going to take a little bit of time to get through. Ooh, I'm excited. I want to be a believer. Out of everything we've talked about so far, this one is the most believable, but maybe that's just because it's not the first roll really is seven. <laughs> what? <laughs> roll number one and it's a seven. <laughs> oh. Yes. <laughs> What an actual joke. Well, uh. But no, I think this one's the most believable, but maybe that's because I'm the one who did maybe. the research. So I've been indoctrinated. This is the first time that this topic was picked by a listener. Woohoo. Jasmine, who's the friend of the show? Uh, my friend Mariana. She was one of our very first supporters before our first episode even came out. So thanks, Mariana, for all your support and this awesome time travel idea. We're so excited to learn about this. So before we get too far in this, I just want to give a shout out to Cynthia and KRVGN for being our first two patrons. Woot, woot. Yay. Yay. Thanks so much. We appreciate your support. Yeah. All right. Um, I just want to say um, I rolled another seven. And so like the gloves have to come off and I'm going to, you know, start playing dirty. But they don't have to come off. You're making this choice. You're <laughs> they choosing. Could stay basically, on. basically, you choose to declare. Well, yeah, war. I mean, but like three sevens were rolled in like the first round. Just because you roll a seven doesn't mean you have to do anything with it right away. I just feel like it's really early. It's just, this is really boring. You know, it's not boring. Project Pegasus. <laughs> Time travel. <laughs> Tell us about it. I'm ready. Project Pegasus is really two projects, Pegasus, Project Pegasuses, Project Pegasi. So, yes, Project Pegasus was a classified CIA defense related research and development program under DARPA in which the U.S. defense technical community achieved time travel on behalf of the U.S. government by the late 1960s. I'm sorry. Man, this game is going to take a bit longer because all we roll are sevens. Did I mention to say how much I hate Catan? That's why we chose to do a whole podcast centered around it. Well, look, somebody just rolled an eight, which happens to be the numbers of ways that you could time travel by the end of the 1960s. Project Pegasus was launched by the U.S. government initially to perform a remote sensing in time so that reliable information about past and future events could be provided to the U.S. president, intelligence, community, and military. So it wasn't originally intended to be a time travel project, but they kind of just said, oh, look, we can travel through time. How convenient. So it's expected that Project Pegasus produced approximately 140 
chrononauts, which are time travelers, out of American school children through the late 1960s and 70s. And this project was brought to light by Andrew Andy D. Bashago in 2008. Now, that's Project Pegasus number one. Project Pegasus number two, you can find readily on the internet at projectpegasus.net. And that's Andrew Bashago's website where he talks about this and the Mars Jump program. When we're talking about Project Pegasus here, we're mainly going to be talking about the CIA DARPA time travel event. But if I talk about current Project Pegasus, know that it's, it's like the reveal of the original Project Pegasus. So can I ask a question just for clarification sure for can. myself? Mm -hmm. The original Project Pegasus was the U.S. government CIA thing, but mm -hmm. this guy just like made up his own. His Project Pegasus is his project of unveiling the information of the original Project Pegasus. It's a little convoluted. And Andy is a writer and private practice lawyer in Washington State. He holds five academic degrees, including a BA in history from UCLA and a master of philosophy from the University of Cambridge. So he's a pretty well-educated person. What you probably don't know about Andy Bashago is that he doesn't roll sevens like Jasmine does. I was about to say, does he roll as many sevens as we do? He sure doesn't. Jasmine, you haven't rolled anything but a seven since we hit go. I know. And that's why I'm going to apologize in advance for what I'm about to do. Andy Bashago ran for president in 2016 as an independent. Uh, Ooh, interesting. On top of all of these things, so being well-educated, being a lawyer, being a writer, running for president, Andy also claims to be one of the first American time travelers. From 1968 through 1972, Andy alleges that he served as a child participant in Project Pegasus, working on his first program with DARPA. Andy now considers himself a leading figure in the truth movement, a campaign to lobby the U.S. government to disclose such controversial truths as the fact that Mars harbors life and that the U.S. has achieved quantum access to past and future events. Andy's writings on contemporary Mars research have also been published. In these writings, he claims he was the first person to prove that Mars is an inhabited planet. Not that it supports life, but currently has inhabitants. And after publishing this landmark paper, he founded the Mars Anomaly Research Society, or Mars for short. I like it. It's so creative. So, I do. <laughs> yeah. In all huh. of that, I reference DARPA. Who's ever heard of DARPA? I have heard that name before, but unfortunately, I don't actually know what DARPA either stands for or does, besides time travel, apparently. DARPA stands for the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, and they're responsible for keeping U.S. defense up to date with advancements in technology. The agency was founded by President Dwight D. Eisenhower following the 1957 Soviet launch of Sputnik. According to the DARPA website, after the launch of Sputnik, the U.S. decided that it would be, quote, the initiator and not the victim of strategic technological surprises, end quote. I thought that was really dramatic. <laughs> not wrong. DARPA works with innovators, both inside and outside of the government, in order to deliver revolutionary concepts and even seeming impossibilities into practical capability. So DARPA doesn't just deliver things like military precision weapons or crazy stealth technology. They've actually worked on projects that we use in our daily lives. 
such as vocal recognition, translation, global positioning systems. They built really tiny receivers that are now in every device ever. So because of DARPA's work, you can track your, your Unless phone. Unless you believe in our first episode where you're a flat earth and GPS is That's just true. made up. I was also prepared for you to be like, they made these little like devices and they've implanted them into all of our heads. Just because like, why would that not happen? I mean, it's conspiracy theories. But another big project that they worked on was ARPANET, which was a precursor to the internet. That's cool. ARPANET? Interesting. DARPA is made up of like 220 government employees and six technical offices, including nearly 100 project managers who together oversee about 250 research and development programs. So project managers come from academia, industry, government agencies, but they have very limited times to get projects done. So that's how DARPA seems to be able to rapid fire things out is because contracts generally last between three to five years. And we'll see that Project Pegasus lasted for about five years, but whatever. I mean, I think that's what deadlines are supposed to do, right? Encourage you to do your job (laughs) or do your work. I would think so. Is anybody getting wheat? Is wheat just not a thing on this board? No. That was the point of the board. No. (laughs) You're playing drought. So well, yeah, someone put the robber on CJ's six that has wheat. So. Yeah, but we're yeah, not no, rolling six. We're screwed at this point. Oh, we just roll a six. We just roll yeah, two sixes in a row. Yeah, but you have a better chance of getting. We always say that. Than a but 12, again, and nobody's on the two. As a child, Andy's father, Raymond F. Bashago, was a special projects engineer for the Ralph M. Parsons Company, which is one of the world's leading process engineering companies and one of the U.S.'s largest defense contractors. So one day, Andy's dad is just like, hey, yo, we're going to go to the hardware store. So they leave. Andy's six years old. It's the winter of 1968. And they drive past the hardware store and out of the city and out of the county to Woodridge, New Jersey, to the Curtis Wright Corporation. Once they got there, Andy found out that his dad was volunteering him as a trainee slash guinea pig for Project Pegasus. Ooh. Did he not have to consent? He was six. Oh, right. I forgot. This was like mm-hmm. way back in the also, day. Also, as okay. long as the My parent dad. agreed, like, what does it matter? I mean, it's still mm-hmm. kind of like that today. Like, if your parent agrees to something when you're six, like, you know, you do it. Basically. Eh. So they get there. And his father goes to get military clearance. He had been a private in the war. And so he shows his ID and the man in the booth salutes him and calls him major. So Andy's like, um, but you were a private. He found out that his father was a major in the second reserve. Also, sorry to derail. Jasmine has a kick timer. Yikes. Jasmine's also frozen on our discord right now. Yeah, she's frozen. Oh no, her internet went out. 2,000 years later. The second reserve was made up of officials and professionals um, like lawyers, doctors, school principals that were intended to rise up in the event of a land invasion during the Cold War by the Soviet Army via the Soviet Navy. So I don't know. So they get there and Andy's confused, but he's six and like, cool, whatever, let's go in. And they walk into this room. And there's this giant apparatus, which is comprised of two large parenthesis-shaped arms that were about eight feet tall and 10 feet apart. And there's a guy sitting next to them at a console. And so the technician turns on the machine 
And there's like this humming and this whirring and little blue like squiggles, kind of like tadpoles, start jumping back and forth between the arms until it's this big bluish green gate. His dad pulls an Aladdin and he's like, do you trust me? And Andy's like, what? And he says, do you trust me? (laughs) And they jump into this light. Oh my gosh. And Andy says it was like this white tunnel of light and that was moving around them and it was moving super quickly, but also so quick that the movement was almost imperceivable. They went through it for like a couple seconds and then they walked back out and they were in Santa Fe, New Mexico, 2000 miles away. No, they weren't. (laughs) They They were at (laughs) the Los Alamos National Labs at the office of Harold Agnew, who was one of the physicists on the Manhattan Project. Interesting. The way you describe the light around them, honestly, I don't know if y'all have seen this movie, but there's a movie called The Time Machine, and I'm pretty sure it's based off of the book. It's newer. It's from the, like... I don't know, like early 2000s when he gets in his like time machine. That's the exact same thing. It's like the white light around him. And like, it just sounds like that. He like went and watched this movie and was like, "Ooh, that sounds like any time travel movie, to be honest. Like it's like bright lights swirl. Ah, time traveled. I don't know. I like that movie, though. It's a good movie. I Oh, I liked it at least. The Los Alamos National Labs is also where models and drawings and written papers by Nikola Tesla that were seized after his death. So the portal that they went through was a Tesla portal. Yeah, a Tesla teleporter. The CIA had taken the Tesla papers and they took them to Los Alamos. And at Los Alamos, Harold Agnew and other physicists that worked on the Manhattan Project were like, cool, let's look at all of Tesla's stuff. And they found a model for the teleporter that Tesla just called an energetic array, and they built it. And the story goes that as they were building it, and they didn't know what it did, one of the contractors who was working on it stepped through the portal to go to the other side to grab a screwdriver and disappeared. Oh, crap. Everybody else thought he got vaporized. He gone. He did. (laughs) Bye. Oh, my goodness. What did they think was actually going to happen? They had no clue. I would have been so scared. Workplace safety, y'all. Like OSHA. (laughs) (laughs) I hope his family got a payout or something. I don't know about y'all, but if there was a giant blue light in my office and somebody was like, hey, walk through that and get a screwdriver, I wouldn't do it. I'd be like, no, I'm cool. (laughs) I'd probably say no. And, you know, that might be the day I quit. Yeah. They lost this dude, but they finished building the gate. Six weeks later, he shows back up at the lab and he says, y'all, I walked through that and immediately woke up in Africa. The natives around me thought I was a god and it took me three weeks to get them to understand that I was just a regular guy and needed to come home. What? Oh my goodness. This honestly just sounds like a Doctor Who show. But also, like, so did they build a time machine or, like, a space machine, I guess? Because it sounds more like, the, so, like, they're traveling in space rather than in time. Them becoming a time travel project was fully on accident. <laughs> Can you just imagine? That's true. <laughs> it was just a teleporter. He just went from point A to point B. So because of that, they realized what it was, so they built a second one. And they built it at the Curtis Wright Corporation. And <laughs> they realized when they did that, it tethered them together. Oh, well, that's cool. They go to test these teleporters, which are now connected. And they first have three full-grown men in the Navy who volunteer to be the test subjects. 
Andy's dad and the other people in DARPA who were working on it had built the tunnel between the two portals too long. And so these three men went into this tunnel and suffocated because being in this time travel tunnel is like a vacuum and they died. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Poor unfortunate souls. Go ahead. Are they actually dead? Like, do they have obituaries and like... Girl, Andy didn't tell me that. I don't know. Like, okay. That's fine. I'm sorry. I asked you. I asked too many no, questions. No, it's you're because, like, It's just know that I'm relaying to you stories that were allegedly relayed to a man when he was six. So okay. see, and this there might be something lost in translation. A, little bit. a lot of things are lost in translation when it comes to six-year-olds. Mm-hmm. So they thought, well, great. We had these three full-grown, red-blooded American men die. What do we do? We know it works. What do we do? Get ready, y'all. Always ready. I'm ready. The U.S. government decided they were going to then use Latin American street urchin orphan children as their test subjects. Oh, my goodness. This is right on par with the rest of this country's history. And so Andy's telling this in interviews and in lectures. And in this one particular lecture I'm listening to, he says, now, I recognize that that is... At best, a moral gray area. It's not a gray area, but okay. And the way that the U.S. government justified it is they told... So they didn't just go snatch these children. They went to the children's governments and purchased them. (gasps) And he cited a couple different countries. He said Mexico and Bolivia and Chile. They went to these countries, purchased these street urchin children, and told their governments and the children, if you survive... We'll adopt you into a nice American family so you'll be able to have a better life than living on the streets. And this is all coming from Andy. Andy says the silver lining is none of the kids got hurt and they all got adopted into nice families. Right. I would hope that was true. Well, if this is true, (laughs) I hope that's a story. I don't know that I trust that. If I'm the dad and I'm telling Andy the story, I'm certainly not going to tell my six-year-old that these kids died in horrible ways. I mean, that's true. They have instances of accidents happening where terrible things happen in portals. Uh, There was one instance where somebody hecked up while portaling and Andy watched their body teleport somewhere and their feet from the ankles down teleport somewhere else. Oh, that's no bueno. Oh. So, no. So I am more apt to think that if this truly happened, they probably didn't all. Perhaps. Yeah. But Andy says that they they did. And he likes to believe that. And he thinks that there is a group of people now they would be between the ages of like 55 and 65 that are American citizens that were born in Latin America that were street urchin children that were purchased by the U.S. Uh, But they're all doing Gucci now. He wanted to stress that they're the first true heroes of time travel and teleportation, and he wants to recognize them. In the very next breath, he says, but I was the first American child. (laughs) Said like a true American. Yeah. And he says, like, when you listen to him talk, everything is really like matter of fact and a little monotone, kind of boring. The way he says things sounds really believable because it's so nonchalant and like i'm just telling you a story about when i grew up so i'm listening to him and there were moments i was like this sounds like a real story and the moments you know we're like we bought street urchin children that i thought oh i hope to god this isn't real (laughs) and then other moments where i was like oh this definitely doesn't sound real but we'll get to that there were other reasons why they used children because like i said there were 140 of them all american school age children 
And we'll go into that when we talk about the other kinds of technologies. These Tesla teleporters that they ended up using for time travel were one of eight different time travel techniques that were established and proven by 1970. How were they proven? I'm sorry, I might be jumping the gun. I'm just curious if you found out how they were proven. Because DARPA said that they were. <laughs> the CIA said they were. I mean, I guess that's valid. All right, continue. I'll take it. Remember, this is a little bit of a conspiracy theory. That's right. But it's more fun to pretend it's real and find out where the holes are. Like I had said originally, this wasn't supposed to be a time travel experiment. It was supposed to be more of this new age, using your mind, gathering information. It's not super clear how it was supposed to work before it turned into a time travel experiment. These 140 kids were picked because they were gifted, they were talented, and they supposedly possessed paranormal abilities. They were psychically linked. They thought they were indigo children. Okay. They were special kids. The first technology was called remote viewing. Remote viewing was a form of lucid dreaming where they put these kids into trance-like states. In these trance-like states, they were able to project themselves to gather information spiritually. One of the instances was he and his whole class, which they were broken up. There was 140 of them and they were broken up into 14 teams of 10. And each team was named after a different color and each team had a captain. So he is the captain of blue team. And then another girl on his team were both successful in remote viewing when they were looking for Senator John McCain when he was a POW. He claims that he and this female student were able to lucid dream and find his location three or four years before they actually freed him from this POW camp. If they actually found him, like, why would they leave him there for several more years? I don't know. (laughs) The next technology was called spinning. You literally spin. You move in a clockwise rotation 33 times while looking up. Oh, wow. Should I try this right now? Yes. Do it, Jasmine. Let's see what happens. Can you remind me why 33 is important? Because that's how old Jesus was when and he died. Freemasons. It was the perfect number. You spin clockwise 33 rotations while looking up. After the 33rd rotation, you astral project from your body. <laughs> okay, um, I'm going to take my headphones off and you guys are going to oh, watch no. me do this. <laughs> Well, good luck. <laughs> and then I'll I'll come back and I'll tell you what happened. Okay. Okay. Proceed. What if you get lost in astral projector world? Well, we'll just deal. I don't know. Okay, I'll be back. <laughs> All right. While Jasmine tries this, let me tell y'all what Andy found when he astral projected. He was able to leave his body and go to the edge of the universe. And at the edge of the universe, there was a bright light and he hit it and he couldn't go any farther. Let's see if Jasmine sees this bright light. I kind of feel like she should be moving faster. Probably. I feel like time <laughs> travel should always be. A I mean, thing. we don't know what's going to happen. No, you're not wrong. I mean, she'll probably get dizzy and just like fall, but hopefully not hurt herself. It's like this is going to get real awkward when she falls and busts her head open and no one can get inside because social distancing. Yeah, at least I live down the street from her. Guess it's on you. Yep. Yeah. I'll just call 911 and run over there. Try explaining that, though, as to what happened. (laughs) So we were talking about astral projecting, and then she passed out. 
Then they're going to search you for like drugs and things <laughs> that hopefully you don't have. The only drug that I am on is the blood of Christ. Oh. That's not true. I'm also on so caffeine, which to is win a again. Drug. No, I'm not. You have 13 points. Don't we need mm-hmm. 14? I don't know. Maybe. Jasmine, did you did you see anything? Did you astral project? <laughs> Honestly, no, I didn't. Ah, oh, damn. I was really hoping you were going to say what I had told them while you weren't listening. <laughs> when Andy astral project, so he was basically in the nurse's office of his elementary school, which was filled with students who were chrononauts. His school nurse was also a CIA army nurse. Because, of course, why wouldn't she be? Right. And so he projects himself while she's basically taking care of his body. And he comes back and she asks what he saw. And he says that he projected himself and he was able to get to the edge of the universe. And there was this bright light and he hit it and he couldn't go any farther. And he says, the nurse nonchalantly says, oh, so you found the Matrix. What? Uh, what? She knows. All I saw was that there was this like streak of light. And honestly, it could have just been because I was spinning around 33 times and I felt like I was falling, but I know for a fact that I wasn't moving. And then I ended up leaning up against the bar here and I still felt like I was falling, but I very clearly could not move because there was something holding me up. You astral projected all the way to the matrix. So the nurse tells him nonchalantly that other people have reached the Matrix and that it's proof that we're inside a giant hologram. Oh, right. CJ won, so... I I may have just won, so... (laughs) CJ won, so congrats. Yay, CJ. Um, Yay, he won without Largest Army and without Longest Road. Dang, son. He actually won with the least amount of roads. I'm a beast. (laughs) and then it was katie with 12 points and she held longest road dang with 11 roads and then it was me and jazzy ai who got seven points that is the story can you see how many sevens we rolled total Uh, yes 11 nice how many came from jasmine (laughs) three oh what yeah, Not basically bad. after you... I rolled the most sevens. <sighs> I rolled five. Yeah. After you turned into an AI, like, it stopped rolling sevens. Cause... Um, classic. The third mode of time travel is the Montauk chair. So a Montauk chair is a big recumbent chair, kind of like a dental chair. It's made up of the chair, and then there's, like, this hubcap-type canister in the back of the chair that is holding a solenoid. It causes transduction through the solar plexus third chakra, which manages time. And that moves you mentally and physically into the future to live a moment. And it boosts your consciousness forward. Remote viewing and spinning are really to glean information that you can't see in front of you. And that's what the Montauk chair was supposed to do for the future. But then it actually physically propels you forward. So you're in the chair. You fully left your body, you move into the future, and when you're in the future, you're in your own shoes. It's not you viewing, it's you are there. You are partaking in that moment. Interesting. And you're like hooked up with diodes all over you, and you've got like a cotton mask on so you can't see out of your eyes. And then updated versions of the Montauk chair actually have a television screen so that people can view what you're viewing. 
And in the Montauk experiments, there was a screen, but it wasn't viewable by the room, only by one person operating it, and they would psychically drive you. So now we've moved into time travel, and they're like, oh, cool. We can do a lot more than figure out what's going on right now. We can figure out what's going on in the future and hopefully the past. There's the Tesla teleporter, which we talked about. It's a lot like teleporting in Star Trek. The teleporter originally was just for going between spaces. But Andy found out later, going through the teleporter, if it was set a certain way, could propel you backwards or forwards in time by up to two and a half years. And so, you know, larger scale, Hermione going back to take classes at Hogwarts with the time turner. Exactly. But still, oh my gosh. Another form of time travel is chronovision. It's almost like seeing a live stream of things happening in the past, but on 16 millimeter film. And it developed into, instead of just this television monitor, into a giant crystal array that would form large holograms. And these large holograms would come down. And if you got caught in the hologram, you transported back in time to that moment. And so what they would do is they would bring up holograms and have the children experience what's going on. And then they would use a Tesla teleporter to get them out. Because if you go into a hologram, the only way out is if somebody comes to get you with a teleportation portal. Otherwise, you're stuck. Okay. Ooh. Wow. They used the chronovision to see the signing of the Declaration of Independence, to watch the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, to go back to the Civil War, to go to Arizona 100 million BC to watch dinosaurs eat grass. Um, There was one time that Andy went through a hologram and he ended up in the 1800s in the Netherlands. And then there was a time that he was transported to the Five Points neighborhood in New York in 1905 and had to live in a tenement for three days. Uh, I want to ask a question, but I don't even know, like, what to ask. I'm baffled. I'm intrigued. I think that I myself am proof. If they're saying that's what the Matrix looks like, I can be on board with everything else. Chronovision has its own history, but it originally was founded by two Vatican musicologists who were experimenting in trying to hear things in the past. And they teamed up with a guy who was like, oh, I'll stick a TV on it and then we'll watch it. And then it somehow turned into you teleport through a hologram. The next form of time travel was the Stargate. And he says that it's this black gate that takes up from floor to ceiling of an Olympic-sized gymnasium. But at the bottom of the gate, there's this tiny little portal that looks just like a Tesla portal. Andy and some of his classmates teleported into the year 2013. Now, mind you, he is saying this in a lecture that was recorded just before the 2016 presidential election. They traveled to the year 2013 to the Supreme Court building, but they are all 100 feet underwater. Why? The Supreme Court building is 100 feet underwater. In 2013? In 2013. So he says, I'm sure you're wondering, because obviously in 2013, the Supreme Court was not under 100 feet of water. Is he trying to say that in the timeline that he was in, 2012 actually happened? Yes. (laughs) He says that the timeline that he saw of the Supreme Court was the original timeline that he was in, but that sometime after this, when he was going between New Jersey and New Mexico, there was a malfunction and it shot him into a different timeline. 
Oh man, like he, they got the time stone from Infinity War slash Avengers. Oh my gosh. I suppose. But Sounds... that also, again, could be why things are so messed up right now. They did not return it. Captain Dunn messed up. They went as far forward as the year 2045, and they were sent to this glass building which was a repository full of film canisters. And what they were doing is they were picking up these film canisters and bringing them back to 1970, 1972. And these film canisters were encrypted data that the U.S. government would then use to let their past selves know what had happened. Is this how The Simpsons is writing their show? You know, maybe. Possibly. My mind is just blown right now. He claimed the Stargate was an example of the CIA taking classified terms and feeding it to mainstream entertainment to fuel science fiction to make these stories seem unbelievable. Well, I mean, that sounds believable, I guess, if you believe in all of this anyway. So why not? It is the year 2020. Does anything really shock you? The answer is no. 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 I, if the government were to come out and be like, we did this, it's true. I'd be like, Okay, 2020, come at me. I mean, they're releasing like <laughs> UFO information. So this is right on par with literally everything else this year. The last form of time travel are plasma confinement chambers. Large rooms that he says are half the size of a tennis court. And I thought that's a really weird way to measure a room, but okay. And it's filled with radioactive plasma. And you walk into the radioactive plasma, and at a certain point, the ground gives way like a trap door, and it shoots you through a wormhole. His dad had him use the plasma confinement chamber to go back to see the Gettysburg Address. That's cool. Not only did he go back to see the Gettysburg Address, he tells this very long, boring story about how he's getting all these details from Gettysburg that mainstream historians didn't know, so he could prove that he went back in time. But there's a really famous photo by Joseph E. Cobb of the Gettysburg Address, and there's some kids in the foreground of it. And there's one in the front left that's kind of blurry, wearing a Union Bugle Boy outfit, and he claims that's him. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. Whatever. So he used that <laughs> it is what it is. To, to go to the Gettysburg Address. He also used that to go to the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. At that time, he would have been about eight years old. So they sent an eight-year-old to go watch a president get assassinated. Oh my gosh. Why? For fun. I don't, I don't know. That, I don't think any parent would let that happen, nor like with eight-year-olds, but I don't know. I could be wrong. I mean, this guy's parent, I mean, he didn't want to do it himself, so why not send your kid? That poor kid's going to need so much like social-emotional learning. Dang. The dad couldn't go. So they found out by using those street urgent Latin American children that people could survive this. But they continued to use children because children were less disruptive to the timeline. And if they were using technology like chronovision, adult footsteps or voices would disturb the hologram and could possibly cause time to collapse. But children are small enough and light enough and quiet enough that they weren't destructive to time. Obviously, they have not met my students. Children are are not quiet. (laughs) But maybe children were quieter in the 60s and 70s. They might have been. I don't know. I wasn't alive then, so I couldn't tell you. He went to Gettysburg. (laughs) He saw Lincoln get assassinated. On the chronovision, he claims he saw the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, what do y'all think Jesus looked like? Tall, long beard, probably like this dark, like dark dark-skinned man 
I don't know. If I had to guess, he was white. If I if I was going to go based oh on gosh. what modern um, society says, he was a tall white man with dark brown hair. But I would assume because he is from the Middle East that he looks like my people and he is dark <laughs> with dark hair. And I would think that he was actually Arabic because he's from that area of the world. But I could yeah. be wrong. I also did not see him. So I don't know. Well, Andy says the reason that you always see pictures of white Jesus is because he's white. That Jesus was a skinny, five foot ten tall Caucasian man with brown hair, a dark brown beard, brown eyes. But then he says he looked Mediterranean. So technically, people in the Middle East, like, we're technically Caucasian, like, we're white. Like, technically, like, if you were to fill out paperwork today, like, typically the ethnicity, you would say Caucasian um, or white, non-Hispanic. So there are lighter skinned people from the Middle East. I'm not saying that Jesus was white, but there are lighter skinned people. It is a thing. I mean, look at me. In the portion of his lecture where Andy tries to prove that these things happen, he talks about the things from the future that he was able to see. They accurately predicted Watergate, Nixon's resignation. They were able to time travel and view the AIDS epidemic. They knew about the invention of the internet. They knew about the identity of future presidents, Jimmy Carter, H.W. Bush, Clinton, George Bush, Obama, and also Andy Bishago. And then they knew about 9-11. They knew about AIDS and 9-11 and future presidents. Why didn't they stop three of the worst things that have ever happened? So, like, this is a common thing that comes up in a lot of, like, time travel theories. It's like, if you know what's going to happen, like, why don't you stop it? And it's like, well, it's a course that has to play out. I'm going to keep bringing up Doctor Who because that's the most thing that I've watched with a lot of time travel. Like, there's that episode where they get stuck in the room with Hitler with River, and they're about to kill Hitler. And the doctor's like, no, you can't kill Hitler. Like, it has to play out this way. Like, it absolutely has to play out this way. If you don't do this, then there's going to be more repercussions and stuff like that. Like, in theory, that's always the reason why. Not saying it's right and that those things probably should have been stopped, but that's just the theory. Oh, I was going to say, if it's also like the Time Machine movie, the, you know, the one that I talked about earlier, because apparently that's the only thing I know about time travel is that movie, is that if it's going to happen, regardless of what you do, it's always going to happen. I was just going to say, like, how do we really know it? it's supposed to happen that way? How do we know somebody else didn't time travel and mess it up and they're supposed to fix it or how do we also know like if you stop it a better outcome in our world would blossom because you stopped that usually it's because they've visited all the other times that they can do it and there's still not a better outcome again usually like in pop culture that's what i have seen now this is not pop culture this is supposedly real life so i don't know if ben has something else Andy claims that the U.S. government decided that they ethically should not interfere with things that have happened and will happen. And that they find the information from the future and use it to form contingency plans for when things happen instead of using it to be proactive to stop them from happening. In all the stories he tells, he focuses on this really well-known restaurant in Albuquerque and that that's where all the DARPA people would eat and hang out. And he says in that <laughs> restaurant, that's where he met Carter, both Bushes and Clinton all when they were really young because they all knew their whole lives because DARPA told them that they were going to become president. George W. Bush learning that he was going to become president at a young age is what drove him 
to substance abuse before he was president. I don't blame him. I would also be stressed out if I knew I was becoming president. I'm stressed out anyway. If 140 children took part in Project Pegasus, why is Andy the only one speaking up? And why did he not come out until 2008? Because everyone was scared or dead or forgot. They had like thing from Men in Black, you know, where you like flash it and you forget everything that happened. The government has that and they flash everyone. You're on the right track. No, I'm not. Yes. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) It's not as clean as that. When he has been questioned in the past about why is he the only one coming forward about Project Pegasus and why is he one of the only few people that remember, it's all because of mind control. The CIA was attempting to bury these memories in the participants through the use of torture. In 1972, at the end of his involvement in Project Pegasus, Andy claims he was subjected to torture where long needles were inserted into his spine for four hours while they had him recount everything that he ever did in the program. These needles then triggered intense headaches that were then used as gates to block these memories. The end goal was to have people not be able to recall the information. As they tried to will their brain to think about the things that happened, they were to experience searing, crippling migraines. But Andy was able to work past the pain and unlock all of his memories. He claims that other participants, and there have been a couple people now who have come forward, come forward to say that they've been a part of Project Pegasus and a part of other DARPA projects. And one of the people he says who remembers being a part of a DARPA project is President Barack Obama. Mind you, he said this right before the 2016 elections. But I digress. Let's talk about his presidential campaign. So... I'm ready for it. It's is it as good as Tiger King's presidential campaign? <laughs> Wait, did he run for president or just governor? Oh, I thought he was uh, running for president at one point too. I don't know. I don't remember. Did Andy run for president because he saw that he was going to become president, or did he just run for president? In 2016, he ran it as an independent. Although most of his ideals are progressive if you believe that time travel should be used commercially. In interviews, he swore that he was going to win a presidential election between 2016 and 2028 because during the 1980s, he was part of the Mars Jump program, which we'll talk about very briefly at the end. And President Barack Obama was part of the Mars Jump program. There was a time when one of his classmates was like mouthing off to his dad and his dad was basically like, oh, you should just be so grateful to be in this class with a future president referring to Barack Obama. And then Andy's dad said, you mean two presidents? Apparently Raymond has gone to a future where Andy is president between 2016 and 2020. But are you sure that he was referring to Andy as the second person? That's the question. And so Andy says that he talked to his father on a couple occasions And he was able to gather from a conversation with his dad that he is either going to be the vice president or the president of the United States before 2028. So, I mean, for all we know. What if Biden announces next week that he is the VP? Literally what I was about to say, like the real time (laughs) travelers who are listeners who are hearing this in the future will know if we're going to have a Biden Bishago ticket. 
Can you imagine? I would be so speechless. No, I cannot imagine. I'd be so speechless. It would be amazing. That's what happened. How does somebody who's been a CIA time traveling child run for president? Like, what's on their platform? And his platform was all about implementing Tesla's technology for commercial travel, be it through teleportation or time travel. And he stood very firmly on these technologies were created with American tax dollars, so Americans should get to use them. He said, imagine a world in which one could jump through Grand Central Teleport in New York City, travel through a portal tunnel in the time-space continuum, and emerge several seconds later at Union Teleport in Los Angeles. When my quest, Project Pegasus, succeeds, such a world will emerge and human beings linked globally via teleportation will proclaim the time-space age has begun. His whole platform was built around how traffic is going to end the economy. No joke. Straight up, he said... And he, he cited some statistics where if you expand a highway by one lane, it takes 32 days for that lane to become just as backed up as the rest of the highway. I don't know if that's true. I didn't fact check him, but I was like, OK, well, again, you're sounding like you know what you're talking about. But he says, how can you have a fully functioning economy when people can't get to work? They can't get to school. They can't get to the hospital. They can't get to the grocery store because they're stuck in traffic. By golly, I mean, we should I let mean them he's teleport. not wrong. He's not wrong. Yeah. But also, I just don't feel like people would be on board with that because then you don't need planes, you don't need trains, you don't need gas because you're not driving anywhere, really. Like all these big wigs that are, you know, got all of their investments in those industries are essentially not profiting. For those reasons, I don't think he would be elected with that platform. When I was watching him give this presentation, And they asked, how do you know that you're going to win the presidency? Because in this moment, he said, no, I'm going to win 2016. He said that his father had seen that in 2015, there was going to be a giant political scandal where over 300 members of Senate were going to be outed as CIA agents who owned foreign bank accounts. There was going to be so much discourse surrounding the party system that he is an independent. He was going to beat the parties. Because the American people were going to be outraged to find out that 300 members of Senate were actually CIA agents who had been planted in the Senate. I think 300 Senate members are actually reptilian humanoids. (laughs) No, I believe that too. But what if the 300 CIA agents are actually the reptilians? And so all of our CIA agents are actually reptilian humanoids who are time traveling to just really mess up the world. I want to start my own conspiracy. Do it. We know, as people in the year 2020, that in this current timeline, he did not win the presidency in 2016. Now, who's to say he didn't jump to another timeline? Who's to say that that video wasn't recorded in another timeline? I haven't seen him trying to run for 2020. so. That means he's got to run again in 2024, or 2028 to make this work. So who knows? Maybe maybe that's part of why it is taking Biden so long, because he's trying to get America to come to terms with everything that's happening. So him being like, oh, yo, my vice president is a time traveler. I would be like, you know what? That's fine. Well, we're here now. That's really the end of everything about Project Pegasus. But I wanted to mention he had talked about working on a DARPA program with President Obama. And I'm just going to throw this out here and see if anybody wants us to go fully in depth and do another episode on the Mars Jump program. 
because he claims that he worked with President Obama, who was 19, and Regina Dugan, who was the director of DARPA on the Mars Jump program. And uh, Regina was the director of DARPA in 2009 to 2012. So she was appointed by Barack Obama because they worked on this program together. His name wasn't Barack Obama. He went by Barry Sotero. And he claims that Obama promised via a mediary that after he was president, he was going to come out and say that he remembered being a part of these Mars missions. But as of this recording, President Obama has not done that. He's yet to do that. He has yet to do that. So if anybody's interested and want to hear about the Mars Jump program, which features aliens, teenagers on Mars, and Andy publishing a paper on proving that Mars isn't just inhabitable, but that he's hung out with aliens there. Let us know. Tweet us at Katampod. I want this episode that you're talking about, the Mars jump. So I would be on board, but tweet us, comment on our YouTube channel, comment on our Instagram posts, hit us up. Let us know. Let us know. Yes. So that's it. That's all I got, unless y'all have any questions. So all of this like originated from Tesla's like plans for portals. Andy stresses basically. that we as a society have reverse engineered alien technology and that the friendly grays that we work with have gifted us technology, but that time travel is exclusively a human invention and that Tesla really should be celebrated because Tesla invented time travel and we gave that to aliens after everything aliens gave to us. Hmm, interesting. And he also okay, claims well, well. that there are people who have a conspiracy theory that Tesla is an alien. He used the term conspiracy. He's like, there's this conspiracy theory that Nikola Tesla was an alien. And he goes, and you know what? He wasn't. He was a normal dude. <laughs> uh, you know, this whole like time travel thing, I don't think I believe in it, but... If the government were to come out and be like, yo, this is actually real and here's all the proof, I'd be like, that's cool. I'm okay with that. Like, I'm not opposed to time travel. I'm not opposed to all these things. I just, I need more like solid evidence, like physical evidence that proves it actually has happened. It would be like the rest of 2020. We just say, okay, cool. What do we do with this information now? Where do we go from here? Will you not kill us? That'd be great. Right. If you're ever bored and you have three hours to kill and the resources for this episode is a link to a two-part lecture where the first three hours is him talking about project pegasus and the second three hours is him talking about the mars jump program it's really interesting to listen to him talk and it's interesting because he's so boring he's so i can't describe it because (laughs) it's i read these things and I was like, this dude is a full on wackadoo. And then I listened to him and I was like, okay, Andy, like you're making this believable. I believe some of this time travel stuff. Yeah. I think I could be on board. Well, you already went to the Matrix, Jasmine. No, I know. And that like solidified like why I'm more like these things make sense. I think you're all wackadoo. (laughs) I agree that I would would like more solid evidence if this is real. More solid evidence. I'd like any solid evidence if this is real. What I need is Obama to confirm. And I think that would do it for me. If he was just like, yo, your podcast on point, it's all true. I'd be like, okay, cool. Thank you for confirming. If good old Barry Sotero came to Twitter and was like, hey, yo, I've been to Mars. Here's a picture of me with my Mars homie. I'd be like, all right, that's cool. We Gucci. (laughs) Yes. 
Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully that was enough time travel for Mariana. I hope so. Thank you again for yeah. suggesting this topic because and honestly, oh man, am I a believer? <laughs> there's so much. And you know, if if there's anything else about time travel specifically you want to hear about, just let us know, and I'll do another time travel episode. I'm fine with that. I want you to do an episode that talks about some people who claim they are time travelers and like the evidence that they have, like the photo evidence that they have and different things that they bring back with them. I think that'd be really interesting. That was my original intention for this episode. And I was watching this YouTube video and it was like top 10 real time travelers. And number 10 was Andy Bashago. And I listened to the two seconds about him and I thought, hold up. And I immediately went over to projectpegasus.net and started reading. And I said, nope, this is it. This is what I got to do. Yes, I love but it. But I think uh, like a survey of real time travelers would be a good episode. I, I completely agree with that idea. So, yeah. All right. Well, I think that we should um, wrap it up here and head over to our after show. So before we wrap it up, let me just plug our Patreon real quick. If you want to show your support and help us keep doing this podcast thing, there are four tiers that all include access to our wonderful Discord, where we do the live show every Thursday night at around 730. You can hear us troubleshoot all our wonderful audio before you get to hear it here. And you also get a shout out on the podcast like you heard at the beginning. There's also credits in the YouTube video at the end. After the podcast, we chit chat about the next episode and more, which we release to the supporters that choose the Captain, Knight, or Settler tiers for the Patreon. There is a live show option that will only come with the Captain and Knights tier, though. Again, I want to say thank you to all our patrons and to hear the after show and previous after shows, go to patreon.com slash and become at least a settler. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Make sure to like, heart, star, favorite, and leave us a review wherever you can. Don't forget, you can also watch the game we played on our YouTube page, Settlers of Catant Even. Now, let's go around this virtual table and talk about where you can find us. Katie, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Katie11318. And Ben? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at bfelts91 or on my website at benjaminfelts.com. And Ben is super talented and super awesome and made our music for the podcast. Jasmine. Thanks, Ben. You can find me on Instagram at princessjasmine14 and on Twitter underscore snoopjazzyjazz. And CJ, where can we find you at? Everybody can find me on Instagram at CJ. And finally, you can find me at at Megan Wilson underscore on the Twitters and the Instagrams. It's linked in the show notes because my name is super hard to spell. Thanks again, everyone. And we will be back soon with more Catan and conversation. Bye. 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 See ya. Bye.